Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. When it comes to progress in fighting the coronavirus pandemic, the news out of Los Angeles County, where about one in four Californians lives, is bad. There were more than 2,900 new COVID cases in the county reported on Monday. That's a one-day record, and daily hospitalizations are up 27% over the last two weeks. What's behind the alarming spike? Speaking at a press conference yesterday, LA County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer put a lot of blame on reopened businesses like restaurants that aren't abiding by social distancing and mask rules. There are a number of businesses and individuals who have not followed the directives and they've gone back to living as if COVID-19 is not in our community. So I need to say to all of us, businesses and individuals across the county, that at this point, if you're not part of the solution to slowing the spread, you're ending up being part of the problem. Now to help further control the pandemic spread, all Los Angeles County beaches will be closed over the July 4th weekend. It's in prisons and jails that the coronavirus can spread like wildfire. The Fresno County Sheriff's Department reported 507 positive COVID-19 cases at the county jail on Monday. That's almost a quarter of the lockup's population. But as Valley Public Radio's Madi Bolaños reports, testing has been limited to just one part of the facility. The sheriff's department reported its first cases of the coronavirus on June 19th. That's when 13 incarcerated people who were being transferred out tested positive for COVID-19. That told us then that they could have exposed others inside that facility. So we've really concentrated our efforts uh, to testing everyone inside the North Jail, uh, which is around 1,200 inmates. That's spokesperson Tony Body. He says the area is now in quarantine, and those who have tested positive have been put in separate quarters. But the rest of the jail's population is not being tested. We're just not there right now to be proactively testing uh, the remaining you know, 900 or so inmates that we have that make up the other two facilities. There are 2,125 people incarcerated at the facility as of Monday. 25 correctional officers and a deputy sheriff have also tested positive. So far, Body says no one has been hospitalized. For the California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños in Fresno. And as California confronts contemporary coronavirus fears, it's also dealing with a terror from the past. Joseph D'Angelo, the defendant in the Golden State killer case, has pleaded guilty to dozens of rape and murder charges stemming from crimes in the 1970s and 80s. The guilty pleas were part of a deal to avoid the death penalty. Cap Radio Scott Rod reports. Attorneys, media, victims, and their families gathered in a ballroom at Sacramento State University for the plea hearing in order to accommodate for social distancing. 74-year-old D'Angelo earned a degree in criminal justice from that same college nearly five decades ago. He committed his first wave of break-ins and rapes only miles away. At the time, he was known as the East Area Rapist. One of D'Angelo's first victims, Jane Carson Sandler, attended the hearing. 44 years I've waited to hear him plead guilty. It's a long time, 44 years. Yeah, I I really, I'm just so emotional right now. Prosecutors say D'Angelo committed a total of 13 murders and nearly 50 rapes across California. 
Each crime was described in graphic detail during the hours-long hearing. D'Angelo's plea deal calls for multiple life sentences without the possibility of parole. Gay Hardwick, who survived a sexual assault at the hands of D'Angelo in 1978, said the guilty plea is bittersweet. It's the best outcome we could have hoped for under the circumstances, but there isn't any justice because all of us here today who are survivors, we've already served a full life sentence of over 40 years, which D'Angelo will never serve because of his age. Victims and their families will address the court at a sentencing hearing in August. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Let's turn to the coronavirus worries in another part of the state. Workers at a Central Valley pistachio plant say they were exposed to COVID-19 because their employer did not take preventive measures. After a weekend closure for cleaning and on-site testing, the plant is set to reopen today. But union representatives are still worried about worker safety. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. Armando Alanis is secretary treasurer of the United Farm Workers. He says Primex Farms pistachio plant in Wasco near Bakersfield normally has about 400 employees. Though some workers at the plant became ill earlier this month, Alanis says they didn't know their colleagues had tested positive for COVID-19 until they saw it on local TV. Before the news broke, you know, the first news broke, most of the workers were finding out via rumors. Elena says employees had made their own efforts at protection. A worker started bringing face masks to donate to her co-workers. Uh, she was told, no, you can't do that. In a statement, Primex says it closed the plant for deep cleaning this past weekend and will reopen today. But Elena says the damage has been done. He's talked to several workers whose families are already infected. I mean, the workers are scrambling to try to take care of themselves and go get tested themselves, because obviously this company uh, has not worried about them other than their production. As of late last week, Primex had confirmed 31 positive cases at the company. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. The United Farm Workers reports that at least 62 Primex employees have tested positive. And in news beyond the coronavirus, starting tomorrow, enforcement will begin for the California Consumer Privacy Act. It's the landmark law that went into effect in January that's intended to give consumers greater control over what companies do with their personal information online. Here to talk about it is Rachel Myro, senior editor of KQED's Silicon Valley Desk. Rachel, remind us what the law is supposed to do. Well, I find it most helpful, Saul, if you think of it in terms of a list. So for one thing, companies can still collect our data, what we buy, where we go, all our photos, emails, etc. But they have to tell us when we ask for it what data they're collecting. That's number one. They have to stop selling it on to others if we insist. That's number two. And delete it all if we ask for them to do that. That's number three. Also, if there's a data breach and that company wasn't doing what it could have to protect our data, we can sue. So it sounds like a lot. Are the companies complying? Well, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, most of us by now have seen big red buttons on various websites urging us to opt in, which may help some companies cover their legal butts. But again, Saul, they are supposed to give you what data they're collecting about you and all those other things I mentioned in that list. And a lot of the companies that I'm looking at are not making it particularly easy to get what you have the legal right to ask for. 
And is it mostly bigger companies that feel they, they may not have to comply with this, either completely or largely? Or is it smaller companies who think, well, we'll just fly under the radar, nobody will know if we don't comply with this law? Well, I would say it's not really easy to split the pie that evenly. But, you know, the Attorney General, Javier Becerra, has warned repeatedly he's inclined to use his limited budget and staff to pick a diverse set of enforcement actions so that everybody's running a little bit scared. So when tomorrow does come along and enforcement can start when it comes to this law, what do you think uh, the Attorney General is going to do? You know, it's anybody's guess. Uh, we could see Javier Becerra file a lawsuit, uh, maybe not tomorrow, but he could if he wanted to starting July 1st, and he's promised he will sometime this year. Maybe not hundreds of lawsuits, but a handful, just enough to put the fear of God into those companies that haven't been complying since the law went into effect on January 1st. And, and finally, Rachel, I mean, if, if you want to take advantage, what do you do? Well, it, it depends how much time you have on your hands, but you can always go to any online site that you visit and look for where it is that they're posting um, a way for you to contact them and provide your email. Uh, it, it varies from site to site. And you could just say, you know, I am exercising my right uh, to see what the California Consumer Privacy Act says I should be able to see. Please send it over. And then some of them will send over material that makes sense. Others, it'll be a bunch of gobbledygook that's really hard to sift through. But, you know, it, it is a, a great exercise if you want to see just how much data about you is winging its way around the online universe without you having any clue. All right, Rachel Myro, senior editor of KQED Silicon Valley News Desk. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. How do you become a U.S. citizen during a pandemic? The coronavirus, after all, has put on hold large-scale naturalization ceremonies across California. But thousands of immigrants have safely become citizens thanks to naturalization drive throughs KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler has the story from San Diego County. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely Behind a community center in El Cajon is a roundabout and the end to the long journey to citizenship. 600 people from 68 countries participated in the drive-through ceremony on Monday morning. It's part of an effort by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to provide a safe way to become citizens during the coronavirus pandemic. One of those brand new citizens was Belinda Rodriguez, who was born in Mexico. She's been trying to become a citizen for 20 years. She didn't think her naturalization would be quite like this. Oh, no, it's very different. <laughs> she was happy to finally be able to do the ceremony before her residency card expired. It's not going to be complicated anymore because I was thinking that my, my card was going to expire. So I, I was going to do it again and, and maybe having a longer time for this. Without the monthly ceremonies at San Diego's Golden Hall, which fits thousands of people and whose ceremonies feature music and lengthy speeches, USCIS has had to play catch-up for the three months with no ceremonies. Madeline Kristoff is the field office director for Immigration Services. So Golden Hall is a great ceremony, but this makes it a lot more personal almost, and so the officers get to participate in ways that they normally don't get to at Golden Hall. It's really fun being able to talk to people as they're driving through and get to hear a little bit of their stories. The drive through ceremonies will wrap up at the end of this week as USCIS looks for ways to safely bring back larger ceremonies. For the California Report, I'm Max Rivlin-Nadler in San Diego. 
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, June 30th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Earthquake Authority, urging Californians to prepare to survive and recover from the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Desert Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Desert Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.